He's one of the very few men in history that most people can recognize by name, and no name can ever be as important. Everyone knows of Jesus Christ. But how much do we know Jesus Christ? Join us as we dive deeper into his life, his teachings, and his love, and together we can grow closer and build a personal relationship with him. This is Light of the World in Focus. Hello, and welcome to Light of the World in Focus. Like usual, I'm Elder Doosnup. And I'm Elder Jones. We're excited to, uh, like always, be able to have this opportunity to have this podcast. I was, I'm was i pretty excited about today's topic as I was studying this last week. Um, I just thought it was really cool. Um, and I actually learned a lot myself. So, It's a really neat subject. It really... We, it really helps you understand kind of where all this, what this background is. Yeah. And so we are, we are covering in Jesus the Christ chapters five and six. Yeah. So what we're, what we're talking about today is there's kind of two halves of this that we're going over is Mm -hmm. kind of the prophecies of Christ that were given before he came. And also kind of the background of the culture of the day. Kind yeah. Of what was going on in that time. So that the goal is that we can get a, an idea of where these people were coming from. Yeah, and so this, this uh, podcast is more of laying a foundation for the rest of the podcast that will follow. Because um, I want us <laughs> all to try something a little bit different. This is something that I've been trying um with studying this podcast is um i want us all to try and put ourselves in the place of the people that were around when christ would have come so i want us all to picture that it is 2021 years ago um, according to the traditional calendar of year zero being the year that Christ was born. So it's it's right before Christ is going to come. And of course, we don't know that. Um, and we're living as uh, Jews in, I don't know, Jerusalem, yeah. right? Jerusalem Israel, area. Yeah. Jerusalem, Galilee, Judea. Yeah, right. <coughs> the, the land of Israel. Um, and so <coughs> we're going to talk about today like Elder Jones said, is kind of what we already know about the Savior, the Messiah that's going to come, and kind of what conditions we're living in. But I want this mindset to be something we kind of keep for the rest of the podcast as we get into the life of Christ, um, that we can really understand why Christ was so um, controversial, maybe, on some things, and what really stands out, why Christ said certain things the way that he did. Because sometimes we think of, we use our understanding from today and think, well, why would Christ say that? That's confusing. And it's because he was addressing the people back then, and we just don't understand what they were like. Does that well, make sense? Yes. Yeah, so, so let's dive in. And we'll, as we run across specific examples, we'll pick them out and really, really show how... Yeah. Really show how cool this can make study of yep. Christ's mystery. Yeah, I really, I really hope I don't... Sometimes <clears throat> I just ramble on, so I hope sometimes my uh, ramblings will make sense. But I'll cut, first off, I'll cut so... You off. 
So first, again, imagining we're back right before Christ came. What do we know about the Savior that's going to come? Um, and if we were good, good uh, little uh, Jews and uh, people of Israel, then we would we would know our scriptures a little bit. And the scriptures are very, very, very saturated with testimonies of Christ coming. And that's what we're going to hit on. A little bit more about what did these people know about the Savior? What what did they know that he would do? What, what would he be like? And so the first example we wanted to turn to um, that is a testimony of Christ um, is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Um, and so I guess real quick before we read that. So a lot of these scriptures... Um, they talk of, let me see what I'm trying to say. So we're going to take these scriptures in kind of order of Christ's life. From testimonies of him before he was born, testimonies of what his upbringing would be like, testimonies of what events would happen in the atonement. And so we'll go through, and uh, some of these they might not have fully realized back in the day. Like I think the one in Genesis we're about to read is something they might not really comprehend, but us today having this record we can make these cool connections um <coughs> so anyway back to genesis 3 chapter 15 um so this is right after if you know about the story of adam and eve um they've eaten the fruit so now they've just fallen yeah well so god god actually uh, this is when god confronts them afterwards he's talking you know what did you guys do did you eat of the fruit adam's like yeah, I did. Um, and then this is God um, talking to Satan. And so I'm actually going to read verse 14 to give a little bit of a context, and then 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above all beasts of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and shalt... Thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Or basically, between Eve and Satan, right? <clears throat> Satan had the power to, to bruise Christ's heel, but Christ loved the power to bruise, to bruise his head, right? I would rather take a bruise on the heel than a bruise on the head any day. Yeah. Um, There's um if you look at the Hebrew context, you can see that word bruise when it's referring to the head, it kind of has more of a the idea of crushing or shoot. <laughs> yeah. So so it's much more dramatic the destruction of Satan's mm -hmm. head than the bruising of this guy's heel. Yeah. And so you might be thinking right now, that's a really good point, a little bit like that. Um, you might be thinking right now, well, what, what does that really do about the testifying of Christ? Um, and so uh, James E. Talmadge um, brings up a good point in this. Um, and this is what he says. It is significant that this assurance of eventual victory, um, basically, you know, the crushing of Satan's head, right? Um, this assurance of eventual victory over sin and its inevitable effect, death, 
was to be realized through the offspring of the woman. If you look back on the scripture, it says, uh, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Nowhere in here does it say you're an Adam's seed, yeah. right? Why, why would he single out Eve as opposed to just saying Eve and Adam or Adam? Yeah, or... exactly. It doesn't make sense <coughs> because, you know, in my mind and in most people's <coughs> mind, what's required to reproduce a man and a woman, yeah. right? We won't get in the birds and the bees, but I think we can all accept <laughs> that. You know, a man and a woman require, are so why, required yeah, to So why together. not mention Adam? Yeah, why not? Well, this is what... Um, this is what James E. Talmadge later on yeah, elaborates. Um, the promise was not made specifically to the man nor to the pair, um, but was realized to the offspring of the woman. The only instance of offspring from a woman disassociated from a mortal father is the birth of Jesus the Christ. Where basically... Yeah. Um, Mary was a virgin and Jesus was her son. But he didn't have a mortal father. His father was God the Father. Mm-hmm. We're basically from the seed of a woman, right? Came that eventual <clears throat> victory. You know, that, I think that's really cool. That even from the beginning of people being on earth, right? You can see subtle hints towards this. You can see... Um, just people talking that Christ will come, right? And boom, right there, there's an instance of one of the conditions of his birth, right? And we're not without other examples of this. Um, The great prophet Moses um, talked and prophesied of Christ, actually. So in Deuteronomy (coughs) chapter 18, uh, Moses is talking (coughs) to the people. And if we read uh, verses 15... And I believe 19 are the ones I wanted to read. Um, I see you have a pull up. Do you want to read verses 15 and 19? Yeah, sure. 15 and 19. This is Moses speaking to the people, and he says, The Lord thy God shall raise up unto thee prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. We'll skip to verse 19. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Yeah. Or I basically, guess, he's going to be held accountable. Yeah, so I guess, sorry, we should uh, read <coughs> verse 18 too. So 18 says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I sh- shall command him. And this is what God's saying. He's going to raise up a prophet like unto thee. He's speaking to Moses. Like unto Moses. And I'll put my words in his mouth. And so that, that's kind of cool. Like unto Moses. It said, it said twi- like in verse 15 and 19. Someone like thee. Like thee. So what does it mean to be like thee? There's um, an interesting point I want to point out. In the Jewish culture, Moses is huge. Moses mm-hmm. is, well, they don't worship him like God, but he is... If they had to pick their much, favorite prophets, he's like an all-star prophet. Yeah. Or even their favorite human. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's pretty much the top mortal in the eyes of these this Jewish culture back in the time of Christ. Yeah. So they all say, well, we follow the law of Moses. Um, Moses mm-hmm. gave us these commandments. Moses spoke on behalf of the Lord. And so when Moses 
hears, I will raise a prophet like Moses. This is telling you, this prophet's going to be really significant. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> for great reason. Moses was a great guy. He did a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. And he was a great lawgiver, too. He That's... was was a great lawgiver. And who else was a great lawgiver? Well, Jesus. That's a good point. I mean, Moses gives probably, you know, one of the most um, important and memorable laws, right? And yeah. Christ also gave very important, memorable memorable laws. Yeah. And the... the uh, <clears throat> Um, the analogies don't stop there. Let's think of the story of Moses in his little in his childhood. Um, Moses is born. The Pharaoh is like kill all male Hebrews, yeah. right? So they um, so they hide him. His his mom is like, well, I don't want to kill him. I don't want him to kill him. So they um, hide him. You know, have his sister take him to Nile. Takes it, Nile takes him away. Um, Pharaoh's daughter, um, and this is all from memory. So if I'm saying anything that's wrong, feel free to correct me in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter finds him, is like, "I want this baby. He's cute." <laughs> and uh, yeah, and but I it's like, saw a baby in the reeds. I yeah, if I saw a baby in the reeds, I right? Like, there's crocodiles in here, <laughs> right? Let's get that thing out well, of there. <laughs> come here, baby. I know, like, and so. Um, <clears throat> Um, yeah, so Moses avoid narrowly avoided um, yeah, being slain as avoids, a baby. Yeah, death. And he's protected by Pharaoh's daughter, which kind of can kind of resemble Egypt in a sense, right? Yeah. He's Egyptian and um Well, then let's let's think of the birth of Christ as we know it. Christ is born and the governor of the land kill all the babies, right? And, uh, yeah. man, Herod, what, Herod was not the best. You're not, not the greatest guy. We can agree. <laughs> so what did Mary and Joseph do? Well, Joseph gets a vision. The angel comes to a dream and tells him to flee into Egypt. So they go to Egypt. So they go to Egypt and they're safe in Egypt. Like Moses was safe in Egypt, right? Pharaoh's daughter. And then once, um, and then once... It's okay to come back. Um, Mary and Joseph come back to, uh, yeah. you know, they Judea return. area. And so there's a really cool instances of Christ and Moses lining up. Um, so and we have so that. It's, it seems to me that, that God the Father was kind of lining this up just right so that Moses was a type of Christ. Exactly, right? When we say type of Christ, we mean basically a symbol of Christ. Yeah. It's kind of hinting at what's coming. Yeah, and then in the in the New Testament, kind of there's a testimony of Christ being the one Moses talked about. <clears throat> um, so this is after um, um, Christ calls some of his apostles. And this is Philip. Um he goes to tell his friends. Was Nathaniel his friend or his brother? I don't remember. I'll have to check that. Um, and this is what it says. Philip findeth Nathaniel, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Or basically, hey, you know um, 
when uh, Moses said, a prophet I'll raise up like unto you. Well, that just happened. He's here. It's Jesus Christ, Nazareth, the, you know, the son of Joseph, and tells him exactly who he is. And so we can see that prophecy of Christ being fulfilled. Yeah. And so now think of this yourself, being that Jew, you know, 2,000 yeah. plus years ago. So if you think about being a Jew then, Moses is, like, like we said, he's on top. So then someone walks up to you and say, hey, you remember when Moses said, there's going to be a prophet like me? Well, he's here. Mm -hmm. And you think, wait, Moses? Like a Moses-like person is here? Like Moses did some pretty crazy stuff, and the Jews remember this. Yeah. Like he led them out of slavery. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did a lot of miracles for the yeah. house of Israel. Right? Yeah, That's, he kind of laid down their entire law system. Yeah. So another Moses figure, someone to lead them out of bondage mm -hmm. and someone to lay down the law for them. Yeah, and that's you know that's a big claim, right? Oh, that, he's finally yeah, that would come. be pretty pretty shocking. Or, and so, yeah, if that was me, I'd be like, okay, this guy claims to be the savior, the <clears throat> Messiah that's been prophesied to come. Well, I just so happen to know some other checkpoints this guy's gonna need to make to convince me that he is. <clears throat> Excuse me, bless you. A couple different checkpoints this guy's gonna need to make to be able to um, receive his title as the Messiah. So I would turn to my scriptures, right, of what the prophets have said about this. So next, um, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, there's a prophecy about the coming forward of this Messiah. And we're going to see exactly, let's see, Micah, Micah, Micah. Yeah, this scripture in Micah, I really like it because it shows that God doesn't just give you the huge important universal truths he gives you little little details like just the little things that kind of add a little extra punch yeah really show oh even the little details were worked out here yeah so if, um <clears throat> back in the day is you know the good little scripture studying a uh, jew you read across in the book of mike and you find this prophecy of the messiah chapter 5 verse 2 it says but thou, Bethlehem, um, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Basically, Bethlehem, you might be a small little town, but from you is going to come this Messiah. And so here's... Here's what I do. Guy comes up to me. Hey, the prophet that Moses talked about is here. Oh, really? Okay, well, I know a little bit about this prophet. Where was he born? Well, he was born in Bethlehem. Well, check. Um, and we know that Christ was, was born in Bethlehem. I mean, if we turn to uh, Matthew chapter 2, um, let's see, verse 6, it says that... Uh, um, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Um, yeah. That fact is pretty well established. I mean, it even says here, so um, <coughs> this is King Herod. He gathers all of his priests and scribes together, and it says in verse 4, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet. Or basically, um, you know, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and, you know, 
this is where the whole kill the babies things come from, why Christ has to escape to Egypt. Um, and so, I'd be like, shoot, well, it looks like he's got that covered, right? That prophecy is taken care of. Um, so what are some other prophecies that we know about Christ? Well, there's the um, conception by a virgin. So his mother was a virgin. And we kind of talked about that in um, Genesis already. How yeah. he's going to be born of a mother, but he's going to be born of a woman, but not of a man. Yeah. Not a mortal man. That's, uh, this, this prophecy comes from Isaiah chapter yeah. 7, verse 14. And this one says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And if you remember from a, from our last podcast, <coughs> Emmanuel is a very special name. Right? Mm -hmm. um, basically, it means Savior, you know, the Messiah. Or basically, it's what Isaiah is saying here. A virgin will conceive, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, or declare him to be the Savior of the world. And so, okay, we know this this prophet, right? He's gonna gonna be born miraculously by a virgin. And sure enough, we know in a yeah, he was he was born of a virgin. Yep. In Matthew chapter twenty one, um, we have the testimony of this. Um, let's see. <coughs> Shoot, did I write down that reference wrong? Yes, one second. I know it's right here. Um, Was it chapter 1? Yeah, verse it's, it's verse 18. Um, yep. Here we go. So, now the birth of Jesus was on the this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Um, or when it says before they came together, again... This is uh, before they were married and before the whole birds and the bees could happen. Found out that she's pregnant. Um, and Joseph's like, you know, being a logical man. Shoot, well, there's only one way that that really happens. <laughs> right? Yeah, Dang it. An angel kind of sets things straight. And says, yep, hey, yep. Joseph, this was a miracle. Yeah, so now in verse 20. Um, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying... Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 21 testifies, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Um, and then goes on to later talk about Emmanuel in verse 23. Where basically, this is the Savior of the world. Um... And uh, he's going to be the one to save. Again, conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. Joseph can testify of it. Before, he was like, shoot, i got to put her away. Basically, um, break off the engagement, whatever he needed to do. And he didn't. Um, and so, boom, another prophecy fulfilled. We're going to move a little bit quicker now because we just realized how long we've yeah. been talking. Man, and, you, should, uh, you, should see, you should see all the decent enough scriptures. It's, they are they marked are, up. They're spilling bookmarks all over the table. Yeah. So many bookmarks in your scriptures. So many. So we're going to uh, 
move pretty quick here. So we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Yeah, I got that one. You got that one? Yeah. And I we mentioned this one before, and this is where it talks about what he's going to do. This is why he's so important. He, um, verse 5 in Isaiah chapter 53, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And so... So it was laid out before he came, what he's going to do, why he's so important. He's going to pay for our sins, and he's going to offer us healing from the from the infirmities of the world. Mm-hmm. No, and we, we know that. Um, another thing that um, kind of stands out to me, and I might be remembering a little bit wrong, so again, correct me if I'm wrong. So in verse 7 of Isaiah 53... He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. I take that in a couple of different ways. The first being, did, do we ever remember Christ complaining? Did he ever once say, oh man, this sucks? I don't, you know. No, he didn't. He kept his mouth shut. He, he bore it, um, even though he was oppressed and afflicted. Also, I, I think of when he's being... Um, inspected before Pilate, right? And Pilate says, if I'm not mistaken, um, what is truth, right? Or whatever the question he asks. And Christ doesn't say anything. Yeah. And Pilate is a little bit offended. He's like, why don't you answer me? Don't you know I have the power to crucify thee or to release thee? And again, you know, Christ doesn't say anything. Again, kind of a testimony of of um, what will come to pass. Um. I'm going to do one real quick scripture to kind of show, again, we kind of, prophets have been testifying of, um, of, of Christ's life, right, um, for a while. And they, they saw actual events of what would happen. Um, so real quick, let me find the scripture reference. Yeah. While you're finding that, I'll point out that when it says he's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, that's a really neat um, allusion to sacrifice. And if you remember in the Law of Moses and just in that time, um, sacrifice was a huge part of Jewish culture. Um, You would make sacrifices in the temple. You would make it to um, kind of make up for your mistakes, to um, offer gratitude to the Lord. Um, sacrifice is a huge thing, and a lot of the times, um, the people of the time wouldn't recognize, as we have the foresight, mm-hmm. the hindsight of now, that this was just an analogy for Christ. Christ was the pure, unspotted lamb, and he was sacrificed freely. Uh-huh. That's true. So, the one scripture I wanted to allude to, this is Psalms 22, and it's talking about... Christ, and um, he, uh, this is David, he foretells events in the Messiah's life, or in Christ's life. And in verse um, 18, in Psalm 22, it says, They part my garments among them, and cast lots upon my vesture. Or basically, you know, we know that when Christ was uh, being crucified, it says so in, in Mark, and I'll turn there real quick. Um... 
Good to back so, everything yeah. you say up with scripture. It says, And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. Right? They they cast lots, and they're like, I want a shirt, right? Whatever he was wearing. And uh, we see David prophesying of that back in Psalms. Um, and so we can see, and these, like Elder John said, my scriptures are marked full. We're not able to get to all of them like we usually aren't, which kind of makes me sad. Um, but there's, these scriptures are chock full of them. So now imagine this as, you know, us being a, back then, we go through the scriptures and it just seems that this Christ guy we keep hearing about seems to fit all these boxes. We're like, okay, okay, all right, this guy, he, he has some potential. I probably will figure this out for myself. So now we've got we've kind of got an idea of what these people knew about Christ. Mm -hmm. So what I think we could do next is figure out well, what was the environment? Where were mm -hmm. these people coming from? And a lot of these situations in this time um, really give us a lot of insight into yeah. Christ. The thing he said, the things he did. Um, so first of all, let's do a really quick crash course on yeah. the history of Israel. Yep, this is other yeah. Jerusalem's crash course um, in the history. Of, this is again just so we can really put ourselves in the shoes of these people. So, about 975 BC, um, King Solomon dies, son of David. Um, up until this point, all of Israel, all the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They were all living together in a kingdom. They were all happy. Well, Solomon dies. His son. Um, Let's see, Rehoboam, Roh I don't know how to pronounce it. Rehoboam. Rehoboam or something. Um, he's, on, he's on king. Well, he raises some taxes. People aren't happy about it. And so um, generally what's called referred to as ten tribes uh, broke their allegiances to this king. They're like, you know what? We don't like this. We don't like you. We're going to go do our own thing. So they um, broke off. Yeah. And where Judah... Benjamin, and then a couple people from other tribes, um, they stayed true to the son of Solomon. Um, and this enters into the divided kingdoms. Um, so the ten tribes that broke off, they retained the name House of Israel. And the um, remnant, they, they take the, the name of the House of Judah. Judah was a very powerful yeah. tribe. They kind of take precedence. So now we've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Israel kind of meets an untimely doom pretty quick yeah exactly so um it looks like 721 bc that's the note you wrote down yeah yeah, yeah. seven about 20, 720 um kingdom of israel is destroyed um so, and transported to assyria yeah. assyria the assyrian <clears throat> um empire yeah. came and took and them out this is basically because after the revolt, uh, the kingdom of Israel was really just kind of not a good place as far as keeping the commandments. They were very idolatrous. They, they didn't they didn't do good things. So, God was kind of enough, and <clears throat> they were um, scattered. And they were scattered so well that they get the name Lost Tribes because no one really knows where they went. They just kind of like dissoluted into nothingness. <laughs> like we can't yeah. we can't tra trace them after that. 
Um, so that they're gone. So Judah's still here. Judah's for a still bit. there. You know, they're weakened because they're not the like ever since 720. They're not the great nation they used to be. Well, about 580, uh, mm-hmm. five, 590, sorry, uh, BC, Kingdom of Judah because of wickedness. Um, is brought into captivity from Babylon. And this they go and take everyone out of out of their land and bring them to Babylon. So if you remember the story of Daniel, like Daniel in the lion's den, he was a Jew who was he was kidnapped as a young boy. And so he was he's a great example of all these Jews were taken away to Babylon. Yep. And they were there for a long time. I think it was like seventy something years. Yeah. yeah. Um and then eventually the Lord softens the heart of the Babylonians. They're they're able to go back to their homeland and here's the funny thing you feel like if you were a slave for a long time you'd be willing to get out and a lot of people did although a lot of the uh, people from the kingdom of judah they elected to stay in babylon over israel i guess they liked it better for whatever reason a little bigger empire bigger empire protection right um Again, to me, that kind of shows they didn't yeah. trust God as much. Yeah, they're like, I trust Babylon because they're huge and big. Yeah. One of the other things that points out is that, so if you had been a slave and you came back to your home country, home kingdom, where God had given you, and a bunch of your friends didn't come back, you kind of feel a little bit alone. You kind yeah. of feel like you've been kind of just attacked, yeah. pulled out of your homeland and you feel kind of sad because you read back in the day when you were one great mighty conquering nation under king david king solomon right and now you're just a fraction right you're you got cut in half when the kingdom split and then you probably just got cut in half again mm-hmm. with the whole babylonian thing so you just feel like you're just you're missing you're a small part of a big group that's just gone um and so they came back they they thrived a little bit, but they never really were super independent after that. They were um, preyed upon by Greece, Egypt, Syria. Um, All these other big nations yeah. kind of surrounding them. Yeah, they'd bring them into bondage, may, sometimes make them tributary, where basically they have to like give you money. Um, and uh, for a little bit, they were able to throw off that in the revolt, the Maccabeus revolt. Um, and then the Romans came. That didn't last long. And um, they decided to enter. They actually willingly entered into an agreement right. with Rome. Um, because Rome was big. They they were like the nation at this point in time. Rome was in charge of the world. Yeah, Greece had fallen, right? It, it, Rome was the thing. So they, they, uh, they fell and they became a tributary state for this. When I say tributary, imagine... Um, if you know, like a tributary with a river or a stream, there's one main stream, right? The big river, and you'll have smaller streams that feed into that, right? So it's the same principle. Rome is huge, and where the kingdom of Judah is a tributary, right? They have to donate. They support this big river. Um, so they have to pay taxes. Pay taxes. Like Ju- like Caesar Augustus, all the world shall be taxed. Mm. Well, the kingdom of Judah has no exception. So yeah. if you Think about this. The kingdom of Judah, they've kind of been taken captive by all these different people. And what happened to God's prophecy that we're going to be a chosen people and we're going to have this yeah, great nation? exactly. And that kind of makes you feel like you've got to stand up for yourself. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things that makes 
one of the things that's really distinctive about the Jews in this area at the time were they had a very individualist, independent kind of feel to themselves. Very isolationist. Yeah. They said, we are descendants of Abraham. We had this big promise given to us, and we can't afford to mix with you guys or associate with these guys because we'll just get destroyed again. Yep. We've got to stick with ourselves and stay strong. See, and this is this is why I think they, they chose to enter into this thing with Rome because where they were like in bondage before, they didn't have a whole lot of freedom. But under Rome, since they entered into this agreement, Rome was, they let them um, have their own, uh, they didn't really interfere with the religious ceremonies as long as they the they Jews didn't, didn't mess with the Romans' religion. They kind of let them maintain a little bit of their own. They just had to pay taxes. They had to pay taxes, and they don't have all the governmental power that yeah. they want. Um, so so basically, the, the Jews, they're, they're kind of independent, but not really. And like you said, they, they took pride in being the descendant of Abraham. And for the last hundreds of years, they've never been independent. They've never been that great chosen people of God like they wanted to. I mean, and uh, they just didn't play well with the other people. Um, I mean, we all, uh, let's see. The story of the Good Samaritan, right? The reason why that one is so important and kind of different is because the Jews hated the Samaritans more than anyone else, probably. They disliked them so much. And it just kind of shows... Um, yeah, so the Samaritans, the, the yeah. Samaritans, they were a branch of the Jewish tribe that they kind of intermarried with um, external, like external nations, and so, but they still kind of tried to say, oh, we're still part of the kingdom of Judah, yeah. and um, Judah wanted to say, well, no, that's not true. You're not, um, you're not pure from the descendants of Abraham. You're not. Staying with their religion because they intermarried with a lot of people with different yeah. gods. So they, they didn't idols. like them. and so I think it's funny. The Jews um, and the Samaritans hated each other. Yeah, they didn't like each other. And this is what I think is funny. Is that the Jews at this time, they, they liked... They were very proud. Because at first they were like, oh, we're descendants of Abraham. That makes us better than all of you. And then they kind of live by that class distinction. Well, even in their own class, they'd have other distinctions. Like they, they look for any excuse to be better than other people. For example... Yeah, you need as much betterness as you can in I, this I guess so. poor situation. And so um, they had, there was a couple different um, classes in this system. And <laughs> so some of the most popular, most referred to in the New Testament are the Pharisees. Right. You hear about the Pharisees all the time. Jesus says, "Woe unto the Pharisees!" You, um, he kind of he 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 gets, he scolds them a lot. Yeah, they're they're the they're the center of Christ's rebuke a lot of times. So who, so who even were these guys? Yeah, who? Why why do they deserve so much of a? Uh, why do they deserve so much uh, heat from the Savior? In yeah. sense? <laughs> and uh, really, what it comes down to is uh, there's. There's some people that have the opportunity of going to these great learned places, right? And learning more about the scriptures. And, and if, you, if you remember how um, since the law of Moses was so essential and central to the lives 
of the Jews. I mean, the law of Moses kind of dictates just about everything you do in every situation. And so they have to live by this. And so if you know the law, then you've kind of got some prestige. And of course, not everyone in this time is wealthy enough or has enough time or means to learn all the law. There's going to be a lot of lower class, working class people. Exactly. So the Pharisees, they're more like the scholars. They're, they're the ones that... Um, they study the law, and so they, they know the law. And so they have a lot of religious power and political power by that. Mm-hmm. Because it's really important to realize that back then, where Rome let them keep a little bit of their independent status, they're able to govern themselves for the most part. And Jewish civil law and ecclesiastical law were one and the same. They didn't have any different... Like, there wasn't the civil court and then the religious court. They were Church one and state were one. Yeah, right? It was a theocracy, basically. And so these people, they had, they had the power, right? They sat in the courts. They sat in this. They had the political power. They, they basically ran the show. There were a few other smaller political parties, like Sadducees, who were very literal. There were Herodians, who were fond of, um, like, who had a specific opinion towards the yeah. Romans. Just all sorts of smaller political parties. The Pharisees were the main group. Yeah. And they're all distincted by their they're saying, I'm right, everyone else is wrong, and I'm better. Yeah. Right? They were There's very a lot of pride. Yeah, exclusive. And uh, they're the ones that would teach the people. And sometimes they didn't as we can see, they already seem like not the nicest people at times, and so they don't necessarily teach all the truest doctrine. Yeah. Right? And so you can go out on the streets and you'll hear the Pharisees saying this, and then the Sadducees saying this, and these people saying this, these people saying this, and they're all claiming that they're right. And they all get it from the Bible. And you're just like, well, shoot. <laughs> um, how, how can I know? And this is kind of what I think was like most people back in the day, the average class, the average working class. So we who find do we listen to? Who do we listen to? I mean, it's kind of hard to choose because the Pharisees were mm-hmm. in power. So yeah. if you don't listen to them, you're going to get um, destroyed by the law. Yeah. And that's just kind of how it was back in the day. And this was the, this was the time that Christ was being brought into the world. And so it's really important to keep this in mind. We hope that our, our ramblings made a little bit of sense. <laughs> hope that you guys get something. But just think and ponder about what we've talked about today and really try to put yourselves in the shoes of people back then, especially as we go throughout the more meat of this podcast when we get into the life of Christ and really see what it really means. And we we promise you that as you do that, you'll be able to grow your testimony in Jesus Christ. Um, But we we really thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today as crazy and hectic as it was. Um, And we look forward to uh, having the opportunity to talk to you guys again. Yeah, we've established a calendar, so we're posting this every Wednesday. So next week we'll have another episode and we'll we'll start talking about um, the life of Christ itself. Yeah, so next next week we will be talking about... um, so Gabriel's Annunciation of John and Jesus, so John the Baptist and Jesus, and then we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ, right? Kind of like the Christmas story. Sorry, it's not that time of the year. You're going to get it anyway. It's um, always time to celebrate the birth of Christ. It, yeah, exactly. So um, 
that's where that's where we're gonna go but we hope you have enjoyed this episode we look forward to talking at you again bye